0: Um, You should remember Phil from uh, last week. Phil Letizia is uh, here again with us. Uh, Today we were uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, Phil and Jenny are native South Flor- Floridians and uh, as I was talking uh, with Phil this morning getting to know him a little bit better I'm also a native South Flor- Floridian and it turns out that we have chewed up some of the same turf uh, in the uh, Wilton Manor I guess North Lauderdale and Pompano uh, area where I grew up I, I did realize that I kind of chewed that dirt up before he showed up on the scene uh, there's a little difference in age there um, Phil and Jenny have uh, two children, uh, Oliver and Jane. Uh, they love uh, to travel and they love music as well. Uh, Phil and Jenny have been involved in a new work, organizing city church in Wilton Manors for the last five years, and that church plant uh, activity is sort of coming to an end, and so Phil and Jenny are now in a new season. Phil also happens to be. Uh, in a PhD program at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, and so that's gotta be uh, very interesting. And I think, remember last week, you may remember that Dudley talked about the fact that Phil is an avid sports fan, and so we've both sort of been uh, bemoaning that uh, Dwayne Wade has decided to leave our uh, community. I liken that to the uh, time when Dan Marino retired, for those of you that are uh, either Heat or Dolphin fans. But Phil, we're so uh, thankful to have you. I know I was here earlier. I get to hear it again. It's really <laughs> worth it. So come and Thank take you. care Thank of us. Thank you.
1: <clears throat> well, it's good to be back with you all this morning uh, here at Boynton Beach Community Church. And um, if you were with us last week, we uh, started together thinking about um, how we find ourselves in this very unique Cultural moment uh, where fear and anxiety seem to be running high, and of course, just in the last seven days, uh, we're dealing with those questions and thoughts uh, all over again. And so, last week we said, Where can we go? Where can we go when uh, we find ourselves in this type of moment when fear and anxiety are running high? And we said, Of course, we can go to uh, many places in the scriptures, but Uh, The one place that I think that is particularly useful for this type of season uh, is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon where he calls us to really think about what it means to follow him, to live with him in this world, how we relate to one another. And we're going to pick that up uh, this morning again from where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 7. And so I want to read just these two brief verses From Matthew 7, and then pray for us, and then we'll begin our time together. But this is Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning as we do every time when we gather together and we place ourselves underneath your word. God, it's that place that we know we can find everything that we need for life and for faith. And uh, we ask that the words of my mouth, as broken and feeble as they are this morning, would come together with all of our thoughts, all of our questions, all of our desires and our doubts, and they would be pleasing to you this morning, our Lord and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, we are looking at this most famous sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. If you take some time to read through the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, which is from Matthew chapter 5 through 6 and 7 and also in the Gospel of Luke, you'll realize that Jesus says a lot. And throughout the sermon, he's challenging those that are listening to him, primarily his disciples, but also this large crowd that's gathered on the hillside. And for us, centuries later, he's challenging us as well. And in this passage this morning, Jesus is finishing the sermon. He's bringing it to a close, and he closes it by saying some very matter-of-fact things. He gets very tough With them. And he gets very personal. And he does what every speaker or preacher does uh, as they bring their talk, their sermon to a close, right? He begins to wind down his arguments and he begins to show them that there is a better way to live your life. And how this way that Jesus is talking about. Uh, is the way to live life with God, the way that God has intended for us to live our lives with him. And he concludes by looking at them and looking at us, if you will, and asking us, which way are you going to go? Which way will it be for you? And it's the moment here where we all kind of have to keep both hands on the steering wheel and really pay attention, our eyes glued to the road, because Jesus is confronting us and asking us, which way? Which way will it be? One way is broad and wide. The other way is narrow. The one, many people will go, and the other, only few will go. One way leads to death and destruction. The other way leads to life. Jesus says, when you follow me, you take the narrow way. You go through the narrow gate. And that's going to mean many things for our lives if we take that narrow way. It means it will be harder. It does. The narrow way is harder. It means taking up the cross that Jesus took up. But, Jesus says, that way, Leads to life. And because the narrow way is the way of Jesus, we can be promised that He is with us, that He will always be with us. And so this morning I just want us to look at two things about this way of Jesus. And they're two very straightforward thoughts. That it's narrow, that the way of Jesus is narrow. And secondly, why it's narrow. That it's narrow and why it's narrow. Some of you may not be sports fans, but last summer uh, there was an interesting story that kind of uh, broke through into mainstream news uh, and created some interesting social commentary. Uh, James Harrison is a football player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he made some news last year when he said that he was going to be giving back his eight- and six-year-old son's participation trophies from their youth sports leagues because, he said, they hadn't earned them. Right? And it's become a thing in recent years to kind of give every child in a sports league a trophy, no matter if they win or lose. Everyone comes to the end of the season and gets this participation trophy. And this is what Harrison said. He said, "While I'm very proud for my boys, proud of my boys for everything they do, and will encourage them till the day I die, these trophies will be given back until they earn a real trophy. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry for believing that everything in life should be earned and I'm not about to raise two boys to be men by making them believe that they're entitled to something just because they tried their best. So of course, this set off a small firestorm on all sides, right? Should kids be rewarded and congratulated for just being there, participating, no matter their performance? Or should the kids that perform well, who win, who work hard, should they be rewarded in a unique way? Which is the better way? And I think it's interesting for us to consider because however you respond to what Harrison said there probably says a lot about the way that we respond to a number of issues in our world. And I think it's interesting when we think about what Jesus is calling us to respond to in this passage. Do people, right, Do we respond to the same way, respond to Jesus in the same way that we may respond to what James Harrison is saying? Some people may say, no, Jesus, eternal life and the great reward should come to everyone, right? It should be for everyone. Just because we are human, it should be for all. And some people may say, no, 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 Jesus, this reward, it should be for those who earn it, right? For those who deserve it. So what's the way forward? What is the way of Jesus? Uh, Is the best way through life not having to change, staying just like you are, just participating, and does that get salvation and their great reward? Or is it earning something, being rewarded for living a moral life, a good, a decent life? And here's the thing about Christianity and the gospel. It's neither. It's neither of those. Here's what I mean. You can have eternal life. You can have the presence of God for all eternity. But it's not free. But you didn't earn it. It's not free and you didn't earn it. And this challenges everyone. It ruffles the feathers of some of us who may be more liberally minded, who may want to say, but God loves us just the way that we are. He doesn't ask us to change. He doesn't ask us to be any different than who we are. And it ruffles the feathers of those of us who may be more conservative or more traditionally minded who say, no, God's love must be earned. It must be because we live this good life. See how unusual the gospel is and the way of Jesus is? It makes that Famous line of C.S. Lewis, Ring, all the more true. Christianity must be from God. Who else would have made it up? Jesus says in verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. To the way of Jesus. He's telling us himself, the way of Jesus is narrow. And what is perhaps the worst thing you can say to someone in our society today, in our world today? Don't be narrow-minded. Right? You're so narrow-minded. So when we say as Christians that the way of Jesus, the narrow way, is the only way, isn't that harsh? How can you believe that in today's world? You can't evangelize because to evangelize is to say that your belief system, your religion, what you say about Jesus is better than what other people say. But of course, if we pull the thread on that, we see that that in and of itself is a view of religion, isn't it? That when you say that the way of God is wide and broad, and that we're not asked to believe anything specific or to change in any way, just to be good, decent people. When you say that you shouldn't evangelize, you shouldn't tell people that Jesus is the only way, you are now evangelizing. You're saying that your view of God, your view of spiritual things is now greater than mine. Your view is correct and mine is incorrect. You've essentially done exactly what you're charging the Christian to be doing. But others may say, but to believe that Jesus' way is the only way, isn't isn't that bigoted? Doesn't that lead to, to bigotry? My answer would be to that, how can the way of Jesus ever be bigoted? You see, bigotry is not conviction. Conviction is not bigotry. Bigotry is pride. Bigotry is coldness. Bigotry is harshness and cruelty. But it's not conviction. It's not bigoted to believe that Jesus' way, the narrow way, is the true way. If someone says to you, two plus two equals five, is it bigoted to say to them, no, no, two plus two equals equals four. Well, you have the right to your own opinion on that. I'll reserve to say what I think. It's not bigoted to say, no, 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 you're wrong. You're, you're out of touch with reality. You're out of touch with the truth. And I'm saying, I'm correcting, I'm saying this to you because it's for your own sake. But as we said last week, Jesus doesn't leave the Christian with a choice here. Jesus himself, himself, is the one who says, the way to God is narrow and it's through me. Many other times in the Gospels, Jesus is saying very similar things. He's saying to us, to the world, that he himself is God. And to know God is to know him. No other founder of any major religion in the history of the world has ever said such a thing. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, only Jesus. And if he's wrong, then he shouldn't be trusted. And you should absolutely go the other way. But if he's right, and Christians believe that he is right, if he's right, right then his way is the way to God. Which brings us back to how Jesus is getting very personal with his disciples and how he's getting very personal with you and I this morning. There are only two ways, his way or the other way. And so that tells us that Christianity uh, leaves us following Jesus in the way that he's laid out for us, which means there's no room for bigotry. And this is important for the Christian and the non-Christian to hear. Christianity and the way of Jesus is the most inclusive of exclusive religions. Let me say that again. Christianity in the way of Jesus is the most inclusive of exclusive religions. That's exactly what Jesus has been saying throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what I mean by that. If you go through the narrow gate to follow Jesus, you will absolutely become more loving more truthful. And here's a key one. You will love your enemies more. You will love God more deeply. You will know the love of the Father more deeply. And so to follow Jesus down the narrow path, through the narrow gate, to go his way, is to do the opposite of bigotry. It's to become more loving. Conviction and truth, not bigotry. And so the way of Jesus is narrow. But secondly, we have to ask the question, why is it narrow? Why is the way of Jesus narrow? Well, it's narrow because it's very, very hard. There's a question on your outline and on the screen this morning. What is the quality that one needs to enter the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is found in the very first words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, those first words of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's narrow because it's hard, and it's hard because none of us, no one wants to be spiritually poor. No one really wants humility. It takes great humility to follow Jesus. It takes great intellectual humility to admit that you and I don't have all of the answers. So we're not being asked to be intellectually weak by Jesus, but we're being asked to be intellectually humble. You are not God. I am not God. There is truth outside of us bigger than you and I. I was reading a story this week about a Yale, a Yale law school student who was living a very good life. was handsome, handsome, and uh, living the fast social life, making money with big law internships. and uh, He would hit the the bar and restaurant scene four or five times a week and just spend a ton of money. Life was good. Life was fun, but life was empty. He'd gone to church occasionally as a child and. He still had this curiosity about Jesus, but he'd go months and months without going to church or really ever thinking about it. He knew that Jesus was important to him, but he didn't know how much. One day when he was sitting down to write a paper on Abraham Lincoln, he realized that he knew much more about Lincoln than he did about Jesus. And because for some reason he thought that Jesus was more important to him, He realized that he'd never approached Jesus in the same way that he'd approached Lincoln to really explore, to investigate what this was all about. And so he started to dive in. He started to ask the questions and to read. He started going to church. Before he knew it, a few months later, his life had done a complete 180. The partying had been curved. His life began to turn. You see, there's this stereotype, I think, that says that only people who have come to the very bottom of their lives, who are struggling, that that's where you meet God. And that is, of course, true. Many of us, perhaps, have come to a place of faith in a very difficult season of our lives. But, you know, successful people, successful in the eyes of the world, they meet Christ when? When they drink from the golden cup of life and realize that it tastes like everything else, right? That it's not what they thought it was, right? That everything seems the same after they've achieved what they've set out to achieve or after they've made all of this money or if they've gotten this recognition, that there's still that nagging question, is this all there is? Am I on the right road? Did I miss a turn? Did I do all of this to get to this place and now feel like like this is it? Maybe that's your experience. Maybe some of you are in that type of place or have been in that type of place where you get to that point and you say, you know what, I feel like it should mean more to me than this. But there's something missing. See, the way of Jesus requires all of us to come to that place. Requires humility. And it's narrow because for all of us, it's very personal. It's very personal. So why is this important? Why is it important for us to believe in the struggle for these hard truths of what Jesus says, of what we believe as Christians? It's important because we believe that the hard road leads to life. Jesus says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. And so Jesus comes to all of us. He comes to you and to me and he asks, do you believe? Do you trust me? Will you go my way? Because the narrow road is going to be much harder. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have trouble in this world. But I will be with you. Broad and wide and easy is the other way but it leads to death. Jesus says, you need me. Follow me. I am down the narrow path. A few years ago, two brothers, Connor and Caden Long, together won the Sports Illustrated Sports Kids of the Year Award. Caden, one of the brothers, has several palsy and needs assistance to walk and talk. But Connor, his brother, found a way for Caden to participate in sports with him. And so they started doing these kids' triathlons together. And so Connor pulls Caden in a raft during the swimming portion of the race. And then Caden goes in this trailer and Connor pulls him on the bike for the bike portion. And then they switch that trailer around and Connor pushes the trailer for the running portion of the race. And Connor said this, if people would race with people who can't walk or talk or who have any kind of autism, it might open the eyes of those who don't really care about it. Ten years from now, the perfect place for me and Caden would be, you know how people have the American flag on the moon? We would have a Team Long Brothers flag on the moon. And at the annual event where they were giving out these awards, giving these boys the Sports Illustrated Kids Award of the Year. They were also giving another award out, Sportsman of the Year. LeBron James won Sportsman of the Year that year. And there's this wonderful clip on YouTube, you can look it up, when when LeBron gets to the point where he receives his award. He doesn't talk about himself because he's just seen this video about these two brothers. And he's overwhelmed by emotion. And he just talks about them. See, for Connor and Caden, those triathlons, those partnerships, it wasn't free. It cost something. It cost Connor. Caden benefited from his brother's thoughtfulness, from his friendship, and from his effort, but it cost Connor, and it's thrilling for both of them. They're both rewarded. It's thrilling for all of us to see. All those who know him, know them. You know what's not thrilling? What's not thrilling is you get a trophy, you get a trophy, you get a trophy, you get a trophy, just for staying the same, for not changing, just for participating in life. But you know what else isn't thrilling? What's not thrilling? A parent saying, son, you're never going to get anywhere in this life unless you earn something. That's not thrilling. Neither are right. Neither are right. What's thrilling, what captivates our hearts as followers of Jesus, is that you get the prize, but it costs something. But it doesn't cost you. It costs Jesus. You get the reward of heaven and the crown of life, not because you've done anything, but because Jesus has done everything. And following Jesus is following him down this very narrow way, the hard way, the way that's going to ask us to change, the way that's going to challenge us to the deepest parts of who we are. He is the narrow gate. And through him is the only way to eternal life. That's what he's told us about himself. And we believe him. The reason why we can believe the promise that he made to us last week and the reason we can believe the promise that he makes here is because he died and rose again. And because he rose again from the dead, we can take his promise at his word that it is true. And so for you, which way will you go? Which way will you go? Jesus says, follow me down the narrow way and it will be hard and it will ask you to change and it will be difficult at times. But that way is the way that I go. That's where I am. And as followers of Jesus, we want to be where Jesus is. And so no matter where you find yourself today, maybe you're in the midst of making some big decisions. Maybe you're just in a season of life where you're reevaluing, you're thinking about what it means to live the fullest life, the life that God has called me to live. The narrow way, is the way we go with Jesus. The harder way, but the way where he goes with us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning. We recognize that we all come from different places. Lord, some of us have been believing these things for many years. We've staked our lives on it. But Lord, we can still be overwhelmed by doubt and confusion as we look out into the world in recent weeks and we wonder where you are and how hard this narrow way of truly trusting you and believing you is. And some of us come and maybe we're still wrestling with believing at all. We still have our doubts and we don't know yet if all of this is true and how can I trust that your way is the way. God, would you by your spirit meet us wherever we are? Would you help us to see that you have come so very close to us in Jesus and made a way for us to know you. God, may you help us to make the difficult decisions even when we're faced with the reality of having to change. Lord, we do that. We go headlong into it knowing that you are there with us. Thank you, Jesus, for the good gift of your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.